0: WMQA Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer of Scout Comics' Agent of World, Images' 20th Century Men, launching August 17th and Valiant's Bloodshot Unleashed uh, out September 21st. Dennis Camp, welcome Dennis. Hey guys, so happy to be here. So, uh, we'll ask you the first time guest question, what are some of the first comics that you remember reading?
1: I would say I, it's so. I I love comics for as long as I can remember. But the comics that I remember that that first excited me about comics and like and started me as a as a collector, I would say, were uh, Grant Morrison's Justice League comics. I um, I remember my parents didn't really like me reading comics. They wanted me to read quote unquote real books. And so Mm -hmm. what I would do is I would ask them to drop me off at Barnes and Nobles and I would stay there for like five or six hours and sit on the couches and read comics. And, uh, and so Grant Morris, and I, at the time I didn't realize that, I mean, of course I knew that somebody must be writing these and drawing these, but it's kind of just like why I I thought what I liked was justice league comics. And then I realized, well, some of these justice league comics I seem to like a lot more than the other ones. And uh, those were the Grant Morrison ones. And so with, you know, with my own money, as soon as I could, I bought all of the Grant Morrison Justice League uh, trades. Um, and then from there, I started uh, tracking down their stuff in single issues because they were, doing, they were still doing stuff in single issues. And so then I started having a relationship with the comic shop and kind of sneaking off there and buying things with my, with my change. And, it was, uh, and it, from then on, I just became more and more obsessed with them as time went on.
0: Now uh, we're going to be talking about three three different comics today, uh, each different in in tone and style. One mm-hmm. thing that is consistent is that uh, your your comics eat like a meal. You know, not only are there these dense exchanges of ideas going on, but you know, you're working with artists who go hard for detail. So the <laughs> eye is slowing down both for the dialogue, as you know, and also for the art. You yeah know, do you do you feel like that holds true for the the comics that you like to read as much as what you like to to write, you know, obviously, I, you know, Grant, starting with Grant's going to set you down that path.
1: Yes, yeah, I really believe in compression as a reader, as a fan. First, uh you know, you, co- comics are pretty expensive for if you, they're pretty expensive items, unless you can reread them over and over again, right? So that you know, hopefully, it takes you a while to read my comics, but it's not just the first time through; it's the third time through, or the fifth time through, where you're still picking up new things and you know uh when I would read something like a a Grant Morrison comic or an Alan Moore comic each time I come back to that I pick up something new I learn from it and they kind of grow with me almost like because there's all these different layers to them and so I enjoy a Grant Morrison Justice League book on one layer as a kid just because it's there's a lot of cool stuff in there and then you know, you you read more and more and you can you can kind of understand a little bit more of the heady ideas there or, or, uh, or Watchmen, which I thought was just super awesome and cool. And then you read it more and it's this intricate, I didn't realize the first time I read it, but it's this, you know, it's this inc- intricate diamond of a story. And so, yeah, I would say, you know, as a reader, I was, that was the stuff that I was super drawn to because I would just, it'd be the stuff that I thought about nonstop and would keep coming back to. I would read Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol stuff over and over and over again. And again, I, I was I felt like it was growing with me or it was pushing me to grow a little bit too, you know, to expand the horizons of my thought. And so that's kind of the that's the goal in my own work. I think is to just is to make things that people are going to read again and again and again and, and hopefully get something new out of each time
0: you know generally what is your relation you know before we start going into the individual books you know what is your relationship yeah. with artists like you know do you tend to be a pretty detailed scripter do you leave a lot of room for whomever you're working with to to go nuts you know what is sort of the i guess the average give and take for you yeah
1: both i would say both first of all to me the most important thing when i'm working with an artist is establishing uh, a rapport a relationship uh, a co- you know, making comics is kind of a conversation between all of us and not just the, the line artists, but the colorists and the, and the letterer, you know, they, they're, they're all integral to the making of the comic. So I'm very close with almost everyone on my team. Um, that's important because, we, because there needs to be a back and forth and there needs to be a, a comfort, uh, them telling me what they need from me and me telling them what I need from them. Ah, uh, the scripts themselves are are very detailed. often. i I write a lot. I give a lot of information. Um, and i I often call out the the panels. I like call out the layouts in one way or another. They're not Alan Moore long or anything, but they're 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 pretty detailed. However, it's with the understanding that a lot with that I hope the artist will go in a different direction. It's kind of like I want to give them a ton of information, and then I want to give them the my kind of bad way of laying out that information, my imperfect way of laying out the information. And then my hope is that they'll so that if they don't if they don't see another better way or if they don't want to do the work of, let you know, coming up with a more interesting layout or a a more effective layout, then they'll have something there. I, you know, I draw them out myself before I before I send the script off just to make sure that it's possible, the things that I'm asking for. But then often the artists are so creative and, you know, have a mind much bigger and more impressive than my own that they're making those they're making changes and and there's a lot of back and forth and different different amounts with different artists so uh you know with, with the, the artist on 20th century men stepan um there it, he's a he he changes a lot uh what i write so it's really it's real it's a very collaborative thing where he changes i write a lot and then he changes a lot and then i have to rewrite everything that i've written to fit to better fit the art, and I think you know it ends up with a kind of really smooth, seamless, um, uh, seamless result. At least, at least for my to my eyes, uh, agent of world with with Filia is, you know, he's just a he's just a one of a, a kind genius uh, in terms of coming up with weird layouts and incredible story details. And so there, it's really me about it's really about me giving him a, a bunch of potential background details, and then him taking that to the next level. And sometimes he changes the, you know, the storytelling layouts quite a lot too, and I have to adjust to that, but it's just, it's always, but it's always to give you this giant, beautiful bombastic, you know, explosion on the page. And that's, and that's super, super cool. And then with Bloodshot Unleashed, uh, John, he follows the scripts pretty closely in the sense that he always gives me the panels that I'm asking for, but then he'll add three to five panels more to each page to, he says to get more detail in the script, some of the, the detail that I give that it would be otherwise hard to focus on. So, my the relation, the way that the the artists are always making it their own and changing quite a lot and making things way way better, but in different ways for each project. I would say.
0: Um, well, uh, let's let's start off talking about Twentieth Century Men, which is uh, your new image series uh, drawn by uh, S. Morian and lettered by Aditya bidikar Yes. uh I'll read the solicit pitch for the listeners. Oh, awesome! Yeah, at the uh, at the end of the 20th century, superheroes, geniuses, madmen, and activists rush toward World War III. A Soviet Iron Hero, a superpowered American president, an insane cyborg soldier, uh, an Afghan woman hellbent on building a better life for her people. These strange yet familiar beings collide in a story that mixes history, politics, and comic book mythology into something totally new. Uh, welcome to 20th Century Men, where the edges of our reality and fiction touch, overlap, and then explode. a little
1: bombastic that's a solicitation for you
0: (laughs) so uh what is what's the origin of this project
1: um the origin of this project. i really wanted to do i really wanted to i guess it was me channeling uh my feelings about about the 20th century in general and i guess a little bit my parents and my parents generation and I've always been really interested in in Soviet history, and uh, and so I've always wanted to do something with the Soviet Union. I, I kind of look at the Soviet Union as a really unique a really unique thing, where it was a it was a modern society that was so cut off from the rest of the world that it was almost like the, the people there almost had a, an alien way of thinking about things. Which is to say, not that they were inhuman or anything, but that mm-hmm. that. You know that capitalism is such a pervasive idea uh, for us today that it's hard to imagine a world that isn't capitalist. You know, it's you know this is a you see it in all over the 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 literature that you read. A lot of these science fiction things, you go to an alien world and it's fundamentally pretty similar to to not just humanity but specifically to our current humanity. You know, and and the Western humanity of of capitalism. So especially before there was as much globalization with the Iron Curtain and everything, it was really interesting to, to have and to see uh, a, a society that was modern and, and industrial, but that had a completely different way of thinking of things. So I wanted to do something there, and then I was al- also uh, interested in kind of, frankly, the the horrible things that, that they've done, and and I was thinking a lot about Afghanistan, uh, the things that we in the United States have, have done there, the war that, that we unleashed there. And so I wanted to talk about that, but I don't, I didn't feel like I had a uh, distance to talk about that. And I felt that was something like um, the Soviet occupation and invasion of Afghanistan, which is where the, or it's when the book takes place um, in an alternate history. Uh, I had a little bit more distance to talk about things that were still relevant today into the American, you know, folly there, uh, but had with a little bit more distance and, um, and uh, you know a little bit allowing me to talk about it in kind of a, a deeper way, I guess, than I would than I would be able to talk about things that were currently going on, which is a, I guess the classic sci fi thing.
0: Did I, I guess with with the U.S. having pulled out of Afghanistan this year or last year? Excuse me, uh, it, it's all been the same year for like three years now. But Yeah, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. the last four years is one year. Yeah.
0: was that something that kind of helped again not the right word but did that create some of that that distance that you know now helps you kind of go back and and re-examine I guess absolutely the, the 30 years or so that came before
1: absolutely I mean that happened you know after we were well into writing and and drawing the book so it was uh it was i was not expecting it to be in the news it, to mm-hmm. be so to be so much in the forefront of people's minds um, when i first started writing the book but it it was it was kind of a a thing that it, it, yeah it it a bunch of a bunch of articles started coming out and so it just there was a lot more material that i that i've incorporated into the into the project and of course i've done a lot of research about afghanistan at the time but mm-hmm. you know just more just more this book is, a, I think, one of the most human things I've written. It's very, it, um, it is, it's all about the humanity. So it's it's less about the, it's, so even though things have changed since the 80s to now, and it was the Soviet occupation instead of the American occupation, it was, it's still about the the Afghan experience is uh, mm-hmm. a big part of the book, especially going forward. And so just as much as I could learn about uh, the culture and, and, uh, and those experiences firsthand with firsthand accounts, and we were getting a lot more of that you know, when, when we pulled out and the war ended. So it was very useful in that way.
2: I'm curious, you mentioned your parents and your parents' generation. Yeah. You and your parents are not, you're not generational Americans. Yeah. So do you feel that gives you a, a different perspective than Generational, yeah, that's a word that is not easy to say. (laughs) Generational Americans on some of this stuff. You're dealing with history and scenarios that are by American institutions often mythologized or demonized or just glossed over.
1: Yes, I think absolutely. So, you know, my father's Turkish, my mother's from the Philippines. I was born in the Philippines, but raised primarily in the States. So even though I feel American in some essential ways, because I was raised in the Midwest, uh, I have all, there's always been a certain amount of alienation from sort of the, the, a lot of, as you put it, the mythology or what what others might call the propaganda, the myth of the, you know, the American ideal. And so I think it, I love a lot about the United States and I love And in the same way that I love a lot about superheroes and yet, uh as I, i've grown older and and you know and because i've had this kind of slightly different experience with my parents were very critical of the united states in their ways and my father is, is a is a communist and so i got a lot of a lot of actually quite a lot more mythologizing the soviet union than i did of the of of america and so you can see kind of a i think a critical lens uh to the for instance the president of the united states and this is a captain america type character who is not a great guy and I think that is that comes from me looking at the United States and especially being from the Philippines which uh which was dominated by the United States in some in some pretty horrible ways uh you know I have I have a lot of affection for United States but also I think my eyes are open about some of the failures and certain and the way that the the mismatch between the myth and the reality and uh so I think it has given me a certain amount of distance and I spent some time in, in, in Turkey. I lived in Turkey for a while and I worked with refugees from Syria there. And, um, uh, and so I think I, ha- I have a little bit of real world experience with not with Afghanistan specifically, but sort of with people fleeing, fleeing a horrible war. And, um, and I think that's kind of all goes into the book.
0: Yeah. And, and how much of that sort of real 20th century research did you, you know, did you find yourself doing to tell this alternate history? You know, I mean, Afghanistan, uh, I, I guess on any earth is is sort of a, a, yeah. a Gordian knot of uh, 20th century real politic.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of research, a lot. I mean, uh, just every issue probably represents at least three or four books that I read to, to as background uh, because I, I wanted to get Soviet the Soviet mentality right, Russian history, Soviet history, not just on the war, but in general. And then again, on the war, on that specific war. And then I wanted to get Afghan history uh, right. And it's quite hard to find, or at least it was quite hard for me to find um, Afghan history in from Afghan writers. Uh, and so that was a challenge. And I wanted to read all of that. Plus a lot of American writers and and Soviet writers. And then I had to get a bunch of stuff on the war itself. So a lot of the character names that you see in the book are real people or based on real people at the time. And, and so, um, so I did, and I read a bunch of, you know, to get the voices right. A big part of, uh, of, of Afghan uh, everyday speech is, you have to know quite a lot of Afghan poetry because they use a lot of like uh, ancient poetry. So I read a lot of, uh, in, in everyday speech, so I I read a lot of uh, Afghan poetry, so I could put that in there and and to, and idioms and things like that. Because a big part of the project for me was getting the voices right, uh, the Soviet voices and the and the all the different kinds of voices, the American voices, the Soviet mm-hmm. voices, the Afghan voices, and uh, uh, so that meant kind of immersing yourself in the way that people write and people talk, and and I think it, you end up with may, I don't know if you noticed it, but the, the, the characters don't really, the American characters I think sound American, but the other characters, even though they're in, if they're speaking in English or it's translated in English, they sound a bit off. The sentence structures are a little bit strange and the word choices are a little bit awkward and that's very intentional. Uh, I think it, and, and I think it was, it was very difficult to do because you have to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite to, to get it, but, uh, but I think the end result is something that has a kind of a strange poetry to it, which is what I was going for have you ever watched
2: star trek the next generation
1: i watched some of it for sure
2: dharmach and jalad at tanagra have you ever seen the episode where the that that immediately came into my head these these, who speak in cultural metaphor it's that kind of the translation of the translation of the translation that's something that only makes sense when referenced by the original culture
1: yes exactly so i think that was while at the same time it makes some sense to you know readers in general. You got you want to make sure that it's understandable, but there you know there always there's there's a balance to be struck there. I think and there and there's certain Easter eggs that only people who know Afghan history will 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 pick up on, and there's certain Easter eggs that only people who are maybe who know Russian history or know Russian will pick up on, and and it hopefully it won't it won't detract from from things not knowing it, but it'll it'll be that one. Added thing that if you do know it it'll, you know, hopefully you'll get a kick out of it, like for instance there's um in the in one of the first uh scenes there's uh in the black and white scene that's in the preview um with one of the characters as a boy the the um, you hear this tuck tuck there's a sound, the ono- sound effect tuck tuck, and that's Russian onomatopoeia for a heartbeat and so I don't really expect people to know what that is, but for those that do it's a fun little Easter egg.
0: Absolutely. Uh, now, how did you find uh, your artist for this project? You know, got, kind of going into the book because I was giving it that first read. You know, I thought that you know there were a couple different folks working on it, just because how different the scenes are. You yeah. know, especially you know the the Vietnam sequence. It's it's very Ralph Steadman uh, yeah. compared with the rest of the book. Uh, but uh, no, uh, Morian's just that good, huh? <laughs> yeah,
1: he's just, it's just one guy, and I think that's that's one of the the incredible appeals of the book is he's a chameleon and and almost every scene he kind of reinvents himself a little bit, but you, but there's a through line throughout because it is one storyteller, you know? So Mm -hmm. there's a, there's a certain kind of consistency to it. It doesn't feel like it's, I mean, at least to me, it feels like, you know, the pacing and the storytelling, it's all coming from one guy, but the, the, the rendering is different. And, and each scene kind of has a different tone to it because they take place all across, the the world and and in different times and so that he has tailored his work to to the scene which is amazing and then which then forces even forces me to to up my game and kind of even further alter the writing to be tailored to tailor to his to his art to to live up to his art and so it's it's been an incredibly collaborative experience where you know as i mentioned before it's just i write something and i feel like it's complete and then he Again, sometimes he, he draws it pretty much as I wrote it. And then sometimes he changes a ton and I have to rewrite the thing almost from scratch. But I, I do feel like the end result is just something that feels like it's made by almost one person. Uh, you know, Sometimes it feels like the line between us is blurring in the storytelling because I'll have to cut a bunch. And then I realize I absolutely needed to cut a bunch. Uh, I should have cut a bunch there. And then, or sometimes he'll extend something out and I'll have to add a bunch uh, as to how I found him, actually, he found me. He he read um, he read uh, some of my writing, some of my non-comics writing. It was a uh, it was about comics, but it it wasn't, mm-hmm. and it was years ago. And he reached out to me and and wanted to do a project. And this was in like 2013, and I wasn't really yeah, I wasn't even really ready for it, and I was still in I think I was still in med school at the time, and so nothing happened. And then I started writing comics more professionally, and got back in touch with him just to say like hey what's up it's been a while and so we started working on this and he had his own project that he was doing that he'd been working on for many years that was kind of a war thing and so I that also kind of inspired me to write this for him because I saw what he could do with with that and just the the humanity that he puts in in the on the page and and with the characters is just incredible and so I wanted to do something that honored that and and kind of lived up to that.
0: It's awesome. Uh, I also wanted to, and, and, and certainly, you know, with sound effects, it can, it can vary, you know, what, who's the right, you know, where it's the writer of the letter. So, you know, by all means correct me if I'm wrong, but I did want to give a quick shout out to Adichie Bidikar uh, because when the helicopter is, is mm-hmm. landing in the beginning and it's making that fuck, fuck, fuck sound, I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah. That is, that's accurate. And yet it's, it, yeah, no, that's wonderful.
1: <laughs> that was, I think that was actually, I, it was definitely Stephen I think that was something he and okay. I talked about. Yeah uh, yeah I think that was something he and I talked about beforehand. So everyone everyone contributed uh Aditya does a lot of the other sound effects but Stiban mm-hmm. is an amazing I mean he's an old school artist uh and so he draws a lot of the sound effects himself and so um and so he, I mean just an all around talent.
0: Always a good thing.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: So uh, I'm going to pepper in the first question here from our uh, grand Twitter inquisitor, Asimov Fangirl, who asked, <laughs> "What are the the ups and downs, uh, pros and cons, maybe, of writing alternate versions of our reality so rooted in actual or only slightly different historical events?"
1: Yeah, I think um, I think there are positives and negatives for sure. One of the the positive is the, kind of the negative, which is you have to do a lot of research, mm-hmm. uh, and so at least for me, I feel like I owed it to to all the real people involved to do quite a lot of research. And so, you know, again, this I, I've I've had uh, a lot of you know people who are very knowledgeable about Af- Afghan history and Soviet history, and I had a lot of readers to to make sure that I got that some of that right, and they were all pretty surprised by just how accurate and some of the some of the details that I put in there I was able to get into in there
0: um
1: so it takes a lot of work to do that but it also it also adds a ton to the work to have those kinds of fine details that, you know the imagination is really powerful and it's great but there's nothing like these these incredible things that actually happen that have been so that are so ridiculous that you 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 can't imagine coming up with them and if, it, if they didn't happen you wouldn't believe that they really happened uh and so i think it adds a ton of of rich it makes just everything feel richer to be able to add these details and then to take those details and and kind of extend them to go a little bit further than they went in real life but um yeah for me it has been a really rewarding experience because i love learning about things and and so it's a it's daunting because i i do want to get everything right and so it's a lot to live up to i guess but i think what you end up with is something that feels more a world that feels more lived in and characters that feel more real and and events that feel more real
0: and then you know last thing i was kind of curious about is because we're dealing with 20th century here you know what is i guess your relationship with the uh the boomer generation that made so much of this possible, <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. I don't love it, you know. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I think I think this there's, there's a real way that this is me kind of I don't want to say excoriating, but yeah, maybe excoriating that generation and sort of it was a to me, it was a it was a century that was dominated by ideas, uh, ideas, uh, placed above humanity very often, you know. Uh, real um, real human welfare and there was a lot of idealism and and that part of that appeals to me and I see that in in my father who was a communist but an idealism that allowed people to blind themselves to the horror that were that was being uh, that was being created in 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 the name of those ideals you know and so I think that that to me is the is the core of the book is it's a it's an, it's an examination of Ideas and the people who are obsessed with them, and give themselves over to those ideas, and the all of the people who are crushed underfoot uh, in the name of, of those ideas, and and are ignored, and all the suffering that's ignored uh, in favor of those ideas.
0: So uh, yes, yeah, so let's super uh, fun. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I think I we, we get some jokes in there. Uh, it's it's a heavy book, but I'm super proud of it, and I think uh, I think there's a lot of humanity in the book. Um, I think the characters feel maybe some of the most real that I've ever I've ever I've ever created. And I'm just I'm super, super proud of that book.
0: That's excellent. Uh, so, yeah, let's let's we'll pivot to the next one here. So you're going to be doing uh, blood, or you're doing Bloodshot Unleashed at Valiant with uh, John Davis yeah. Hunt, uh, Jordy Belair yes. and Hassan Atman Uh Here's the pitch for that one. Dangerous super soldiers and bloodthirsty living weapons have mysteriously escaped into the world to wreak havoc across dying towns and forgotten farms of America. Now Bloodshot must take up arms again to travel across the country, hunting down these violent monsters, battling his own demons and defending the most defenseless. Uh, and, and we'll get into this, but Bounty is also billing this one as their first mature reader's title. So we'll talk yes. about that. But uh, first, how did this how did this gig come to you?
1: Uh, this was so. So uh rob uh the editor contacted uh another another creator Mm -hmm. uh and a much bigger creator than than me and he was too busy to to do anything um and and basically recommended me for the for the gig of something at valiant and it was just to pitch something uh at valiant and and so when he contacted me i i kind of thought first of all, this was going to go nowhere because it's a, you know, it's a reference thing. And, and second of all, uh, if, if I do pitch something, it should probably be for something small, something to the side, because uh, I'm not a huge creator. Um, and so, so yeah, he, Rob said, well, you know, we're open for anything, but actually we're looking for things for the main, uh, for the main titles. And so I thought, okay, I'll pitch a few things. And I pitched a few things there. Um, and, Bloodshot was one of them and it was kind of like a Hail Mary thing. Cause I, it's kind of like pitching for Batman, you know, he's kind of Valiant's Batman the biggest, one of the biggest characters they have. And, um, and so I really wasn't expecting anything. And, and I some of the other characters were a little smaller, so I was a little more hopeful for them. And then he, Rob came back and he said, you know, there's some good pitches and we can get to them. But the one that really, the one that really struck me and everyone at the editorial team was the Bloodshot pitch. And I, and I said, uh, okay, well, <laughs> if you say so, like, that's awesome. I enjoyed that pitch. Can you, and he asked me to, to flesh it out. And I did. And I just, they just kept liking it and saying yes. And it just kept building and building from there. And, and then, and then he asked, you know, he, he suggested some names for artists. And uh and one of them was, was John and John is, is a, is incredible. I love John. I've loved John, uh you know, since I, I came to know him on, on the wild storm, but have since gone back and seen his amazing work in, in clean room and mm-hmm. and so yeah and and, and here we are uh, in with bloodshot's first mature readers title
0: uh yeah i mean just overall this is a heavy hitter squad uh, of a creative team <laughs> david is great blair and, and, and haas are each tops in their field you know did you Absolutely. did you have a hand in picking any of these folks or was valiant like you get to work with these guys.
1: <laughs> so uh, I think what I think what they did, what Rob did, was he asked John who he wanted to work with for the uh. colorist, and they would previously worked together on Shadow Man, and mm. so uh, and so that's who John wanted to work with, and I was thrilled. Jordy is a legend. I've loved Jordy's work as a colorist. I love Jordy's work as a writer. Uh, mm-hmm. She she did Redlands. And um, and then Haas is like Haas is a very close friend of mine. He's one of my closest friends in comics, and so that was I, again that's me wanting to work with my friends. And just as Aditya is a very close friend of mine uh, on 20th Century Men, Haas is a very close friend friend of mine, and and so I like having that di- that dialogue, no pun intended. Uh, you know, he we talk a lot about the work outside of you know outside of the confines of email. We talk pretty much every day, and uh, I get to so I I get to see his work and product his work in progress and get to tell him a lot of what I'm thinking. And he forgives me the repeated you know, revisions, which letterers don't usually like to do, but he can't really say anything because we're friends. And so it's kind of a perfect situation. Yeah.
0: Excellent. So, you know, we talked, you know, we met you talked about this. I mean, Bloodshot is, is for all intents and purposes, Valiant's Batman. You know, he's been handled by a lot of different folks over the years. He's got a long history, you know, what is i guess a a non-spoilery way cuz we're not looking to give out a, you know give away a book that's not even out for another month and a half uh you know that you're kind of looking to make your mark with this character
1: yeah i mean i i i went back and i read all of bloodshot's history and, uh back to the original stuff in the 90s to today and, and i've liked i've liked or loved a lot of it but this is a pretty clean break from a lot of that stuff i feel like We really wanted to make this new reader friendly. Uh, All that stuff happened and it will be referenced as you go through the book, but you don't need to know any of that stuff uh, to, to begin. It is quite a, I mean, we have a mature, mature readers uh, rating. And so we do go farther than any bloodshot book has gone before. I think in a lot of different ways, I mean, we can show a lot more gore, but we can also get deeper into the psychology, I think of bloodshot and, and kind of the, the dark side of, of being, a, a, for me, it's a, there's a big metaphor there for, for being a veteran, for people going to war. And so this is a book of him dealing with the trauma of, of having done all of these horrible things and the, you know, not always knowing what they, what he was doing, but in, in the name of, of, you know, in the name of, of duty, honor, all these things that he, that he was literally programmed to believe in. And, um, and so the, so the, my goal for this is to make every issue i think you mentioned it before but i like to make every issue pretty dense make every issue complete so we're creating a ton of new characters every issue is a done in one story with uh bloodshot going up against a different escaped super soldier with new powers weird psychologies uh you know every we're gonna we're going to basically create a rogues gallery for bloodshot. Not that he doesn't have cool ones before, but we're going to, we're going to make our own and if nothing else, I think that's going to outlast us, but we're also going to, you know, I think it's, it's about examining bloodshot and kind of his own struggles and his with literally and figuratively his struggles with his memories, you know, and, and, and his sense of loss, which, which is quite, quite great at the beginning of the story.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, listeners kind of having read the book i was going to say you know it's a mature reader's title but you know when we're talking about that we're talking about like actual mature themes here this isn't just about you know letting bloodshot say a fuck and do a fuck you know what i mean um (laughs) you know what what i I guess it's 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 some heavy and and unfortunately all too american shit uh (laughs) when it comes down to it you know what were i guess the conversations like with valiant editorial when you're Crafting this and, and I guess going this route.
1: Yeah, they've been amazing. Honestly, I almost, almost freakishly incredible. Uh, just, just super supportive. Rob has been super supportive. You know, I, I don't want to spoil it, but the first something happens in the first three pages of the first issue that is is pretty, pretty jaw dropping. Uh, and I, when I came up with it, uh, I, I like I called Rob in a just just a, a tornado of excitement and i was like you have a uh, please you have to let me do this and i could i could feel some trepidation i don't know like there was a little bit of i don't know but if you believe in it then i'm gonna go to bat for you and that's just been that has been the the story of this book again and again is well that's pretty crazy but uh you know but i'm gonna go to bat for you and then then somewhere around issue three uh it was then it was pushing me to go further to not not with necessarily gore but just to go you know to go deeper and to be more and, and to just be free to go you know to go as wild as i could and to go as when necessary as fucked up as i could and so you know this is a book of, about fucked up shit you know and and that i think everybody has kind of come to terms with that and once they came to terms with that it was kind of like well let's take it to the next level and that that's at every level that's at, at the level of the covers you know At the level of the writing, at the level of what John's doing, at the level of what Jordy's doing, at the level of what Haas is doing, and I just—it's been an incredible experience to have this kind of a support, this kind of support, and this kind of freedom on a book like this. You know, for better or worse, this is our book. You know, uh, if if you don't like it, you—we—I have nobody to blame but myself. It's not like I can't argue that there's been a ton of interference, or I'm I'm trying to write to to what Valiant has told me to write. I'm really writing this book. You know, I'm doing everything I want to do on this book and more. And, you know, and John is I think John feels the same way. And we've just been super encouraged uh, throughout to just go further, go deeper. You know, uh, don't be don't shy away from the hard stuff. And, you know, it's it's not We're I think we're trying to strike something that is somewhere between. Two thousands Wildstorm and Punisher Max, but so mm-hmm. I think that's something in between those two things. And so there's a lot of heavy sci fi ideas in there, uh, but there's a lot of a lot of you know just de- depressing, depressing psycho- <laughs> psychological stuff and incredible action choreography and, and 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 body horror is a big part of. It. I think one of the appeals of Bloodshot is body horror, and so the mature mm-hmm. readers title allows us to to go to go further with that than any book has ever gone before any bloodshot book has ever gone before. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say there's ever been a book.
0: <laughs> David Cronenberg would have words, yeah. but
1: um, exactly. exactly. You just
2: referenced yeah. Garth Ennis. The man has made a career out of it. Exactly. He, he's a huge,
1: he's a huge inspiration for the, for this book in particular. Um, his Punisher stuff has been, his Punisher Max especially is a, is definitely a touchstone. And I think you can probably see the fingerprints of that in
0: this. Certainly. Now, uh, you know, we talked a little bit how, about how and whether Bloodshot's, blood you know, 30-year history is a factor here. How, I guess, connected are the different Valiant books these days? You know, were other, I guess, were other characters, uh, other Valiant characters, something that you needed to worry about?
1: They're not something that I need to worry about, uh, but, they're, but, it is, but it's part of the joy of being uh, a shared universe, that they exist. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to reference them. So every issue has like a little bit of a callback to to some other bigger thing that's, you know, some other thing in, in Valiant history or, or you know, we mentioned, I it's not a spoiler, so I'll, we mentioned the Harada Corporation in, in mm-hmm. issue two and issue three has, I, this list hasn't come out yet, so I can't say who, but issue three is kind of has a guest appearance, a co-feature with one of the other big uh, Valiant characters. And it's not something that was, that was told told like was put on me it was something that i wanted to do because that's what makes writing bloodshot different from writing my own creator own book you now that's something that i can only do in a, one of these shared universes and valiant has a super rich history and i wanted to pay homage to that and get to utilize some of that so we mentioned spider aliens and and you know all these all these different things that are it's not you know it's not you know necessarily the the main part of the book but it's a fun thing that i think people will get to enjoy and again, it makes the world feel richer, just like real history, This, these kinds of fake histories, but, but real to the readers, you know, it, it's one of the joys of working in a shared universe. And again, going back to Grant Morrison, that's something that Grant uh, talked a lot about and utilized in a way that I really enjoyed as a reader, and I think they really enjoyed as a writer. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, on a slightly later, later note, have you seen uh, the Bloodshot movie? It was the last movie I saw on the big screen before the Dark Times, I so have. I've got a soft spot for
1: it. <laughs> I have seen it. Yeah, I uh, I really enjoyed it. I think I think uh, I think reviews were a little mixed, um, but I think if you stuck with it, there's a twist kind of in the middle that justifies some of the some of the things that people didn't like about the beginning. So, I did vin vin is always close to my heart and he's whispering in my ear when i'm writing the book so
0: <laughs> just just gently saying family
1: family, exactly
2: <laughs> now i know the voice to hear when i read issue two
1: good to know <laughs> yes. yes yeah when Bloodshot's speaking i hope you're reading it in vin vin diesel's voice it's the only way as the author intended there we go
0: <laughs> Uh, so uh, finally, we come to Agent of World, uh, your Scout comic series with uh, artist uh, Philia uh, Bratukin, uh, colorist Jason uh, Wardy, and uh, again Haas. Uh, Matt, he why don't get a- you?
1: He can't get away from me. You, you- <laughs> <laughs> he's trying. Oh, he's trying.
0: Oh, he's trying. He's trying. <laughs> uh matt i'm gonna let you read the blurb on this one just because i want to hear you yell horny robots <laughs>
2: <laughs> horny robots super evolved orangutan bosses joyriders from the 26th century nothing phases philip blank top agent of the sci-fi spy organization known as world but lately philip has been wondering if there isn't more to life than saving the world through creative violence What is Philip hiding from world and how far will
0: he go to keep it hidden?
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: (laughs) Best read of the night. Good job. Gold star. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. So I'm going to, I'm going to start out with the most important question. Uh, How paranoid were you about typing it out? Agent of Wordle at any point?
1: So, yeah. So that Wordle wasn't a thing until like, I've been working on this book. We've been working on this book together for like six years or something. You can see that the art takes an incredible amount of time. Um or you can probably guess that the art takes an incredible amount of time. And so so when I first started writing this book, Wordle was not a thing. And then (laughs) and then Wordle was a huge thing right before we launched it. And I the number of Wordle comments I'm fine, I'm happy I'm I'm looking at it as as kismet. Like it's Mm -hmm. a bunch of people maybe wordle enthusiasts find our book that's the goal. But yes I am now I'm now very paranoid about that and I some sometimes people will give me like uh, I won't say who but another creator has given me a pull quote with mm-hmm. Agent of Wordle as the like written out. And so it's like, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to go with it. I don't want to correct anyone, but it's just one of those things and and maybe some Wordle enthusiasts will find this book and find something to love about it. That's what I'm that's what I'm hoping for.
0: It's it's good accidental SEO is what Exactly. It is. Exactly. <laughs>
1: And even when I if I, I've searched because I'm uh, because I'm obsessed with the book, I've searched on Google and it's always, did you mean agent of Wordle? No, I didn't mean that, Google.
0: <laughs> um, conversely, I- I- is there ever a moment where you're like, oh, God, I got to type these six periods out again
1: every time? And I and on, on Twitter, I just don't. I've just given up the periods. <laughs> it's just all caps. You'll, you get the idea.
0: So uh, how did how did this one find out it's, uh, it's publishing home uh, at Scout? Uh, we were, yeah, we were working on this book really on
1: our own, uh, just pure enthusiasm, uh, a hope and a prayer mm-hmm. for a lot of years. Um, and really, well, there was nothing more to it than I I sent them the first three issues <laughs> finished, essentially. We've edited it since, but um, mm-hmm. but basically the first three issues were all done. And I said, here's a book. Do you want to publish it? And they said, yeah, absolutely. And here we are. So, but I, I started writing this. uh, This was one of the first books I started doing as a comics creator, even before my, my early or not before around the same time as my early work, Maxwell's demons. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've been, we've been working on it kind of in the background for all this time. And we've, we've become, the whole team has become super close, uh, over the course of making it just because we've known each other now for so long mm-hmm. um and so it's a real this one's a real I, I have a lot of affection for this it's it's kind of it's a it's a book of ideas it's a book of wacky science fiction concepts but i think uh also a, a lot of heart um and so yeah it's it's got a lot in common with stuff like um with hard-boiled or shaolin cowboy not just because uh darrow <laughs> drew those and Philia is very influenced by Darrow and, and uh quietly and Mobius. Um and I it gets it's gotten a lot of comp- my work on it has gotten a lot of comparisons uh with Thomas Pynchon, which is a huge uh compliment. Um and uh yeah, it's just it's just super fun and wild and and I think surprising and beautiful and just just one of the most beautiful books uh you've ever you're ever gonna see. I I hope everyone listening to this goes out and just Go and search for the art. Just go and search for pages online. It's it's really something amazing. And and uh, if you haven't if you haven't picked it up, pick it up. And if, if you haven't picked up the first issue, it's a it's every, every issue is done in one thing. Every issue is done in one you know, a light bloodshot, uh, a standalone mission. And issue two, you don't need to have read issue one to read issue two. And it has some of the most incredible two page spreads I've ever seen in, in a comic. And that, so I urge everybody to pick that one up.
0: Um. You're you're, you're talking about it very passionately, which is great. You know, of the three books that we're talking about today, do you feel like this is the one where you get to go the most uh, batshit crazy town banana pants in terms of, uh, you know, ideas and what have you?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think this is probably the one where you can see the most uh, Grant Morrison in it, uh, you know, in the sense of there's just, I, I was on a mission to, once I saw what Philia could do and what he was great at, I wanted to put as much it crazy shit on every page as possible and so every page is crammed to the gills with ideas and concepts and alien life forms and time travelers and wild action and 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 weird powers and and just and weird architecture and like weird locations and so you know we i think there's within issue one there's some you know there's you could argue that there's three or four sub stories you know in in that book we have a the opening is kind of its own little story its own little cold open and then we have the origins, origin stories for a couple of the side characters and then you know the twist at the end and it's just the goal there was to just to to give philia as much as as i could for him to just go wild and to and to just be as creative as he could be because he is such a creative artist he's just such a creator you know I, i he is always every every panel is so alive with background detail. The world is so alive with with things going on in the background. You know, um, all these little stories are playing out. And I think I hope we get an oversized hardcover one day, just so you can really see it on a on a on a big scale. Because there's so much stuff going on, little jokes and 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 little dramas that are happening in the background that that are that are hard to pick out. And again, it's back to that thing of. Uh, trying to create something that people go back to and read again and again. I think
0: you, you can go back
1: to this book and and you can read it again and again and get and and pick up things you didn't pick up the first time, uh, j- both in the writing, but especially in the art. Mm-hmm.
2: The, the reveal at the end of issue one, which I won't spoil, because I think it, we can
1: it's... spoil it. It's been out. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. yeah true. Well, that the, the thing
2: that our hero is hiding is that he has a, you know, sweet family. Yes. Yeah. And that gives this book an emotional core yeah. outside of the the violence. Yes. How is balancing those two aspects? We've already mentioned Garth Ennis a couple of times when he came to Punisher, but a lot of the best of his works, things like Preacher and Hitman, are mm-hmm. tremendous on balancing a love story in the case of preacher or the story of what it means to be a friend and hitman with you know zombie night at the Gotham zoo absolutely Or face yes
1: yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah i think i think those things those things work really well together right one ground the the emotional stuff grounds the ideas and so if you read the first issue you can see that there's this this concept of of kind of ro- robots and as in an invasive species and this this creator of of the robots and they have a kind of a familial relationship and so almost all of the stories are sort of uh in twisted mirror reflections of of his own struggles with his family and trying to keep them safe and and so when he's when he's dealing with this guy this mad scientist who's created this bunch of robots and sees them as his children you know that's him that's him struggling with and having to and having to maybe destroy those robots or, or destroy that guy, it, that's him struggling with his own feelings of, 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 his, you know, trying to protect his own family. To so go back to Ben Diesel. Uh, it's, it all comes back to family. And so, I mean, that book is really about identity and about whether you can be more than what people expect of you and whether you can transcend your history and even transcend the things that you do. You know, are you more than just, uh, then the, the, the things that you do, is there some kind of internal self um, that is, truer and and purer than that if you're going out there and you're doing all these horrible things every day as your day job and so i don't know i think i think that stuff makes the big stuff more relatable like it it allows you to enjoy those things uh on a in a in a personal deeper way i think if you can if you can talk about things that people are really struggling with and that that are sort of grounded emotional issues because at the core of, of all these stories i hope is is are things that people recognize in themselves, um, and th- I love ideas. And I think I want to, I want to, I want to create. I want lights to go off in your brain when you're reading my work. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And one of those ways is to give you ideas that you maybe never considered before, or mind-blowing ideas. And another way is to make you feel things that that you that you felt before, that you have felt before in a in a deep way, and touch touch on those things again. And, and if you can unite those two things, I think you're hitting. Uh, you're, you're making people the lights turn on in people's brains in a lot of different ways. And, and that's kind of what I'm after.
0: What is, what is your, your favorite nonsense science concept that you've played with in this book? And why is it the robot orgy? <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun <laughs> to do. That was a lot of fun to do to figure out how to make it clear that robots were having sex. Um and that was again. That's one of those things where the whole group got together to make that work. There's the, there's a page that if you if you look at it, you can see that the layout spells out sex. And and if you look at the panels, the robots are having sex. And that was just a joy to do. I really enjoyed uh, the word flu or the word vomit thing, which was just like a just a, a quick tool of allowing you to have these characters speak to each other. Um, you know, it's just a virus that you that you take and that. Uh, that makes you be able to speak a different language for a for a twenty four hour period, but yeah, I mean, there's just there's so many fun. There's just that's why I like about science fiction is it it really allows you to to be your most creative self. Uh, it's just the the most absurd things that you can think of that are that are and and in that absurdity is beauty and in that absurdity is humor and you know that's a huge part of storytelling. I think that's one of the things I like best is to make myself laugh and a lot of the and when you can make somebody laugh, or when you can at the absurdity of something, I think it kind of primes them to also be hit uh, with with the the more the more grounded or the more you know the more the more tragic stuff. And I think some of my favorite, some of my most the most beautiful emotional experience I've had with art are things that that hit you both on the level of the tragic and on the level of the absurd or the you know the funny like, you know, one of my favorite books is Ice Cream Man and, mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, W. Maxwell Prince does that a lot, so.
0: Absolutely. Um, with, with regard to sort of the, the science of it and the absurd of it, you know, how do you kind of keep yourself in check, but, all, but keep yourself in check to make sure that you're upping the ante of, of weird. As yeah. you go through the series, yeah,
1: yeah, I think uh, escalation is just it's an important part of any kind of storytelling, and so it's something that I think it's something that I think about a lot. And I think I don't think anybody who's read the first three issues or four issue, really four issues, will argue will argue with the idea that they get weirder and weirder as they go. So you know, um, three is a backwards issue; it's told in backwards order, and that was like its own kind of a, a challenge because um, Cliff uh, page turns become different, right? Like um, mm. when you're when you're doing something in a in a forward way, you're you're paying attention to what the what how a page ends with the last panel. And you kind of create a little mini cliffhanger, hopefully on each page that makes them want to look to the next page. And in reverse, the cliffhangers are different. You have to have them reacting to something and maybe not saying what that thing is. Uh, and so, so that you want to turn the next page to think, well, what got them into this mess? You know, what what led to this? What led to this situation or this image, uh, or this line of dialogue? And so, every issue is weird in its own way, but I think, um, you know, I also think that they get more they get more human as they go. They get more they get more emotional as they go, and that's a different kind of an escalation that I wanted that I wanted to be sure was in there. So I think you know, issue two is one of my favorites, and I, that's. Uh, you know, that is to to talk about Garth Ennis again, you know, about friendship. There's a certain thing about friendship there, about identity. And I think a very, a very human story. And my hope is that we're getting weirder and bigger, bigger scale on the science fiction stuff. I'm, I'm taxing my creativity to the max there, but I'm also, I'm also trying, I'm, you know, taxing my, my heart uh, to make it the most beautiful I can as we go and the most human. I think, human beings are the most beautiful when they're, when they're, they're, mo- they're most vulnerable. So, um, you know, that is kind of my, my artistic project in general is to get uh, to get to the, to the, you know, the, the ugly, messy, internal, vulnerable side of, of people. And I think all of my projects go deeper and deeper into that, the, the further you go, and I hope, I hope if you look at my work over the course of however long my career is, you see that my work in general goes in that direction
0: um, you had mentioned in uh an interview with comics accepts Ari bard that issue two was your favorite of the first arc yeah uh what particularly about that issue kind of stood out for you and, and and i guess gives it that that uh rank
1: yeah i just i feel like it's maybe one of my most succinct issues there's maybe uh some of it's there's not that relative to some of the other issues it's not quite as dense in terms of how much writing there is but i think i'm able to get we're we're all able to get a lot of emotion and ideas across you know very economically and i just i was just so thrilled at the the way it all hangs together as a piece it's just i feel like that one is a very complete piece and i think you could read that story on its own and and get a lot out of it and you know there that one's all that one we specifically go with identity but it's 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 about growing and changing and and how we grow apart and kind of that it's that i think it features two characters who used to know each other when they were kids and used to be best friends when they were kids and mm-hmm. then they they've been apart now for a long time and they come back together philip they're they're two agents and they come back together and there is this old friendship they love each other from these old times but they're completely different people now and i think that's just a a thing that has happened to a lot of us i think you know you meet up with an old friend and, and that old rapport is kind of gone and you kind of you you keep trying to get it back and you have this affection for them but maybe you don't really like the person that they've become or they don't like the person that you've become and, and it's, there's this tragedy in that uh, this real mm-hmm. sadness that comes from that and I, so I think that issue in particular was just a great balance of that tragedy with a lot of humor and a lot of affection and, and warmth
0: Then I'm going to drop in the second Esma fangirl question here. She asked uh, favorite secret organization in fiction uh, besides world. Of course,
1: of course, uh, I would say my favorite. Uh, that's a tough one. I, there's a lot of great ones, um, but I would have to go with waste from um, the crying of lot 49, um, a pension, a pension uh, classic. Um, that was a huge influence on, on this book and on, you know, even world itself. And so that's a, for readers who, or for listeners who don't know, that is a, a secret clandestine mail delivery service. Um, and, uh, and it's just, it's just one of those absurd. You're not sure what, nobody's sure what waste stand for, what waste stands for and nobody's sure what the origins of waste are, or even that it exists. Uh, it might just be a, a giant joke uh and and so it's just the ambiguity of that and um and the absurdity of that again guess I mean, it's just it's just everything i love
0: now with uh all these books in different stages of of being out and and on the cusp of coming out uh are you doing anything promotion wise you know in terms of you know conventions store signings anything like that yeah i'll be at
1: uh i'll be at bulletproof comics uh august 17th for the release of uh of 20th century men i'll be mm-hmm. signing uh uh, they have a they have a, an exclusive cover that you can only get from them. So if you want to, if you're in the New York area, Brooklyn area, and you want to come out, I highly recommend that. And I'll be probably doing the same for uh, Bloodshot Unleashed at Bulletproof Comics, and then I'll be at New York Comic Con, I'm sure, just because it's my local con.
0: Mm-hmm. Right on, awesome. And uh, what are you reading right now?
1: That's a great question. Um, I am reading a lot of nonfiction right now. I'm reading uh, Behave. By Peter Sapolowski, which is just about uh, human human behavior and and specifically as it relates to violence and how violence can how violence is actually quite is not always a negative thing and how actually in a lot of contexts we valorize violence and and it's a and just the different ways that we react to it and and process it and um, I'm all I'm always reading um, I'm, I just finished. Um, a book, a book of short stories uh, from David Means called "Assorted Fire Sales," and that was amazing. Or and uh, and I'm now starting, um, I'm now starting uh, a new, a new book called uh, "Not New." It's not new out, but it's new for me. "Hotels of North America" by Rick Moody. So um, just I'm I'm blessed with a ton to read and not enough time to read it.
0: uh the the curse of us all absolutely yeah Mm -hmm.
1: absolutely it's uh, for a few more hours in the day and i'm always reading in comics i'm always reading um ice cream man which Mm -hmm. is my favorite book of the last i don't know 20 years it's just an amazing an amazing achievement
0: absolutely well, uh, Dennis, this has been a uh, fantastic hour. Final question before we release you back into the world: How can people follow you online and keep up with 20th Century Men and Agent of World and Bloodshot Unleashed and everything else that you have going on?
1: I am. A, I'm at. I'm on Twitter at at Dennis Camp. My name that's D E N I Z C A M P, and I'm also on Instagram as Dennis Camp Comics.
0: Right on. Well, uh, Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Well, thanks for having me. This was super fun. I really appreciate it.
0: That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our Bud Will Nevin. Uh, P.S. Matt and Will, sorry I made you read White Knight again. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support wmq a at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks, A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from ComicsXF, Liz Large from ComicsXF, Will Nevin from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lasowitz at mattlas 1013 and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, the Forceworks character Sentry was apparently part of Combo Man. WMQA.